It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch this Monday afternoon. Ah, uh, God, it's great to be alive, isn't it, this day? Have you been from Cullen to Carlingford or Late Town to Longwood? Well, you can today. Why would you go from Cullen or Carlingford to Cullen or Longwood to Late Town? I don't know, but there's a little alliteration in the names, isn't there, there? Yes, you can go outside the 5K today and travel within your county or go 20 kilometres beyond the border as well from where you live. We are making progress. It is the start. It's a long road ahead, but it's uh, taking that first step is so, so important. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a nice weekend. We have lots of chat over the next couple of hours, but I want to ask you a question to start today. How happy are you? What makes you happy? Let me know. I want to hear from you. What makes you happy in life? Come on, let's be having you this afternoon. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. Or you can call in on 1850-715-958. The reason I say that is because my first guest today has written a brilliant new book. I've so enjoyed reading it. It's called The Science of Happiness. And Professor Brendan Kelly is its author. He's a good friend of ours and he's on the line. Hello, Brendan, again. Hello, Jerry. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm fine. Thank you for joining me. Well, Brendan, I'm going to dive into this straight away because I just want to read a little quote from your book here and we'll take the discussion from here. It's from philosopher Henry David Thoreau and he says, Happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will elude you. But if you turn your attention to other things, it will come and sit softly on your shoulders. Brendan, I love that quotation. I take it it's the basis of how we should look or not look for happiness. You know what I'm saying? I do. And we all, we all look for happiness or contentment and things like this. But very often the pathway to it is through something else. And, you know, most of your listeners will be familiar with this, doing something like maybe walking or running or gardening or knitting something that absorbs you and takes all of your attention into the task, into the activity, and lets, and lets the rest of the world just fall away. Your troubles, your worries, the pandemic, all this stuff disappears for an hour, maybe two, maybe three, as you do the gardening or as you do a task or an activity that absorbs you. And I think that's one of the keys to happiness that I do discuss in the book, which is about 
finding that that activity that gets you into the zone where nothing else matters and you're utterly absorbed and happiness like a butterfly will indeed come and sit softly on your shoulder. So it comes uh, through the enjoyment of many, many things and varied things in our lives. Brendan, what's this about 47, the age of 47 and unhappiness? Now, there's a lot of people, I'm sure, in that age range coming to it or near it, listening to us today. Is it true that 47 can be the unhappiest age of your lifetime? Well, on average, the mid to late 40s are the uh, the unhappiest time. And of course, I'm I'm 47 um, so this puts me at the very lowest point. Studies from over 100 countries show that we tend to be happy as children. Now, this is not always the case, but broadly it is. And then we get unhappy in our 20s and 30s. The lowest point is the mid-40s when we're either working or perhaps frustrated at not working. There might be family commitments, uh, children exerting certain pressures. Careers are often at a make-or-break stage. So that's a tough time. But if we get through that in reasonable health, it appears that in our 60s, 70s and 80s, uh, happiness goes right back up again. As all the things that used to worry us and get us down, we decide they don't matter as much as they did and they probably never mattered as much as we felt they did when we were at 47. But right now, I'm right there in the valley of darkness, it turns out, as 47 is the age of greatest unhappiness. Brendan, it doesn't sound it, to be honest with you, as I've spoken to you a number of times in the last year and I always got it from you that that you weren't, you know, you were a, a person who was, you know, uh, very content, happy within themselves. You do say it in the book, you know, how happy am I? You raise that question yourself. Apart from the age, do, are you a happy person? Yes, yes, I am generally a happy person. And of course, all the statistics and studies I'm talking about, you know, they do need to be taken, um, perhaps not literally. They need, they're useful ways yes. to think about life, but they don't necessarily mean anything for your life in particular. So, you know, for example, we know that having, having a happy childhood increases the chances of happiness in the future. But of course, a great number of people listening now will not have had a happy childhood and but can still work to overcome that and to achieve a great deal of happiness and maybe also take the lesson that for the children that we have and that we influence their lives, giving them a conflict-free childhood is one of the greatest gifts we can give a child for their entire lifetime. So every household out there that has children and that hasn't conflict or argument going on, you know, it, it mightn't seem exciting, but you are doing something really exciting and valuable for your children, which is increasing the chances of happiness in later life. Isn't that interesting? It really is. And words to ponder as we listen to uh, Brendan this afternoon. You're very familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, you know, at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, of course, are the basics. We need uh, food, water, shelter and, you know, that our health is looked after. And then as we move up along, you know, some uh, other luxuries come into the, the equation. Is there ever a time that you can say, Brendan, that we have everything we want and that we're totally happy? Well, we can certainly say that there are limits to what something like um, money can bring. Yeah. So we do need those basic needs met. Um, but as we earn more money, there is a ceiling to how happy that can make us. So, for example, a salary over around €80,000 a year doesn't deliver 
anything much additional in terms of happiness. Now, it delivers uh, additional money, I guess, but it doesn't necessarily deliver additional happiness. Um, Things like health and uh, employment and values come to matter a lot more at that point. Um, And also where you live in the world, Scandinavian countries tend to have people rating themselves as very happy indeed, although we're pretty pretty happy here in Ireland Mm. too. We tend to come around 15th in the global ranking of happiness, 15th out of around 150 countries worldwide. Yeah, it's good. I was looking at that all right. And certainly with Finland 1, Denmark 2, Switzerland 3 and Iceland 4, the uh, Nordic co- uh, countries certainly uh, seem very, very content. Faith is another thing, uh, our belief uh, in, uh, in things in, in life and beyond this life. You, you touch on this in the book as well. Yeah, there's pretty good evidence that believing in something helps with happiness. Uh, Believing in religion clearly is one of the most commonly studied beliefs. And people who believe, people who have faith, tend to be happier than people who do not. Um, And that's true across all religious traditions. Also, political beliefs tend to increase happiness. But there's very strong evidence that having right-wing, conservative political beliefs, you know, where you see the world rather simply in terms of black and white, good and good and evil. This makes people a lot happier than sort of uh, liberal or left-wing beliefs, which are associated with dissatisfaction with the world and desire to change things. Now, that can deliver other kinds of benefits, but basically it's right-wing conservative people who tend to be the happier. Now, you talk in the book about the six principles of a happy life, and they are balance, love, acceptance, gratitude, avoiding comparisons and beliefs, as you've mentioned there now. The, the, the one I'd like to just focus on for a moment is avoiding comparisons. The grass is greener on the other side. If I had a bigger house, a larger car, I could go on four holidays a year. You know what I mean, Brendan? Yeah, and we all think like that, particularly in an age of social media, which permits comparisons, you know, far quicker on a much greater scale than ever before and also permits, you know, comparisons that are utterly ridiculous. So, for example, if I were to compare myself with, you know, a Hollywood movie star or something, I can do so quite easily using social media. And even if I dismiss the comparison as being quite ridiculous, um, it nonetheless affects me emotionally. And this is a fundamental human tendency. So we need to be aware of it and to try and avoid comparisons and tell ourselves we never really know what's going on in someone else's life or in their mind, and we need to be content and happy with our own and just not to speculate, not to compare too much because comparisons are unhelpful, inaccurate, and they make us unhappy. Yes, I think it's uh, the one, and, and the, the six of them there, but it's the one that jumped at me that, and you're right, in the social media era, people looking and comparing and thinking that life is ideal. Because I, I take it, Brendan, that, look, I'm a very upbeat and happy person, and thank God I have, and I've been happy since my childhood. But look, at, I suppose there are times in your life when, you know, that can rise and fall too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are different kinds of happiness, Um So there is the uh, happiness of pleasure, just doing things you like, uh, pure enjoyment. But also there's contentment, which is, you know, slowly building up a life, maybe a career, maybe a pension, maybe a home over the years and the quiet satisfaction that that gives. And often it's that second kind of happiness, the contentment, the quiet satisfaction 
that helps us through the tough times and the times when we're feeling depressed and anxious and so forth. If you like, you know, when we can't enjoy the moment as much as we would wish, there is a certain reassurance in this other kind of well-being, this slow, steady accumulation of strengths and relationships and structure that will help us through those more difficult times because the down days are as much part of life as are the happy, sunshiny days uh, like, like maybe we're having today. Now, we've spoken previously during this last unprecedented year for the world and for us here in Ireland as well. Has happiness been in short supply this this last year or in a way you know despite all we've lost and been denied we've had to readjust to maybe an, another form of happiness well it's been very interesting and people have had such different experiences over the past 14 months people have been ill there are people who are bereaved lost their jobs uh, and so forth um, and yet when you look at the global happiness ratings ireland you know, we, we tend to rate our happiness uh, out of 10 in these surveys. We rate ourselves at around 7.1 when 10 is, you know, very happy. Um, and over the past year, that hasn't changed. And in fact, this year, Ireland is ranked 15th in the world for happiness. And last year, we were 17th. So it's kind of held steady to a certain extent um, because uh, our Irish people do have a resilience or ways of coping that have stood us in good stead for the most part over the past year. And I think we, we, we can see this now as things begin to brighten up a little bit. The vaccinations, you know, start, are starting mm-hmm. to roll out and um, the restrictions are that little bit less as of today. Um, so, so I think there is a buoyancy as well, particularly in Ireland, and that's reflected in our happiness. You break the book up into three and uh, the principle is the middle part. There, I'm after dropping your book on the ground. I'll pick that up in a second. Anyway, <laughs> the strategies are a, a very interesting part, Brendan, of the book. And you cover areas such as sleep and wake time, dream and uh, eating, moving, which is exercise, do, stop doing, connect, disconnect and lose yourself. Can I ask you about the do, stop doing, uh, that particular aspect of life? You know, you mentioned there immersing yourselves in things that you love and the happiness comes from that. But there's also a, a time to say no and stop doing things as well that can also lead to a happiness. Well, absolutely. We're, we're, very, we're very busy people, you know, and we often equate, we, we think activity is the same thing as, as productivity mm. or, or usefulness um, or value. And, and this just isn't true. Um, so what I write about in the book a great deal is decluttering. Now, not just decluttering our, our homes of, of objects, um, which is very trendy now. And it used to be called spring cleaning, but now it's called decluttering. <laughs> yes. And that's, and that's fine. But also decluttering our, our, our minds and our, act, our activities and the things that we do, because a great deal of what we do probably isn't necessary at all, particularly things we do, we think other people want us to do. Maybe they don't at all. So what I write about in the book is doing things, but also stopping doing things, finding time for just sitting, for just, you know, enjoying, for being in the moment. And, you know, today sitting in the sun and just simply letting things settle in your head and around you, that's just as important as activity. The other uh, one I smiled at, uh, you talk about having a baby, increasing your happiness levels for two years. All I can see is two years of bedlam all around me. (laughs) 
Yes, no, it's very, very interesting about having uh, children because a lot of the research presumes that people make careful choices about having children or not. But I know for some people it, it's, it's almost a bit random or it's something they don't think about, and yet it's such a big thing. So the evidence suggests that having a baby makes you happy for around two years, starting just before the baby, a bit before the baby's born, and then for almost two years afterwards. But then you're back to your baseline of happiness. And this, this baby bounce um, happens for the first two children, but is significantly less for number three. Now, again, these are average figures. And there's a lot of evidence that the happiness that children bring is increased if there are parent-friendly policies uh, at work and in society in general, and if there's greater equality. So having children can indeed bring happiness, but there needs to be the right circumstances. And in Ireland, non-parents tend to rate themselves as happier than parents do. And the opposite is true in other countries. So, for example, in Portugal, um, parents rate themselves as much, much happier than non-parents. And we need to move a little bit towards that, towards that end of the spectrum, I think. Brendan, it's, it's a fantastic book. I so enjoyed reading it. And I mentioned the title again, The Science of Happiness, The Six Principles of a Happy Life and The Seven Strategies for Achieving It. It's all in there. You've done a marvellous job. You really have. I congratulate you on, your, on it. And the book is available all round, Brendan? The book is available all over the place from Gill Publishers, from their website, an audio book, an e-book, a printed book, and from local booksellers. If you phone any of your bookshops up and do support the local and Irish booksellers, they will get it for you um, in, in the twinkle of an eyelid. And I do hope it helps. Uh, you know, things are brightening up in general. So hopefully this will help help us move forward into the sunlight just that little bit more. It will indeed, Brendan. Guaranteed happiness when you get this book and read it. The Science of Happiness, Professor Brendan Kelly, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. Take care. That's Professor Brendan Kelly there, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin and Consultant Psychiatrist at Tala University Hospital. First break of the week. Stay with us on Late Lunch. The Science of Happiness by Professor Brendan Kelly. Would you like a copy? Would you like my copy of the book? I'll send it out to somebody this afternoon if you want it. All you have to do is tell me what makes you happy. What makes you happy? What's the thing in life that makes you happy? Tell me. And you're in the mix to uh, have a copy of this book sent out to you. 86 658 Make sure you include your name and details. What makes you happy? Louise Walsh, what makes you happy? Hairdressers. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, 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 she's not I kidding. actually, yeah, hairdressers would make me happy. But I think just in general sense, oh, I don't know, even just simple things like eating Calvita cheese with your kids or, mm. or I don't know, my child came to me this morning and just said, Mom, I'm anxious about going back to school. Yeah. And just the fact that they opened up and said that to me made me happy. It was lovely. And you it were able nice. to yeah. reassure and, and be there as a mum. That, that's lovely to hear. And it's Calvita cheese. You can't have anything else, by the way. Oh, okay. Is Calvita the number one? Is I remember Calvita from years ago. In the ago. little box with I the girl them. on it. Yeah, yeah, when was the last time yeah, you've had Calvita? Oh, my God. I must have been knee-high to a grass, go. grasshopper. Go get yourself a box but and <laughs> make a smile. Simple things is right. We went walking yesterday, Ava and myself, and... We found a ladybird. Not one. Loads of ladybirds. There's loads mm. of them about at the minute. And you saw with the ladybird, you know, on her hand. Mm. And just, you know, telling of the story of the ladybird. 
A story of the lady. As we went working. You know, what they do, oh, you know, okay. what they eat, when they appear, all that type of thing. Mm. That I just look at, I pull in from my memory and, and tell another little story, but fascinated by them. Do you know what I mean? Fascinated by the ladybirds. Simplicity in nature. I think what makes me happy is, I suppose you have the basics, Louise. You know, you have food and shelter, water, safety, as I said, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There, that's at the bottom. You have those. After that, if you have a few bob in your pocket, if you're content in your relationships in your life with your family and you have interests, and I have quite a few interests that I, I love. And I love my work as well. I love my job. I absolutely love mm. my job. And I think I found this last year, I said this before, that I have a contentment despite all that has had to be faced in the last year. You know what I'm saying? And I'm very, very lucky, you know, to be able to feel that way. You did actually say that to me recently. You're content with your lot. Yes. That Mm. might change tomorrow, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I know that I'm not resting on my laurels in any way, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I have a belief. I have a faith as well, you know, that Brendan mentioned there. Uh, that I think is very, very important to me too. You know, and uh, if you're happy, it's the greatest gift. If you can, you know, say that you're truly happy. And it's no worries at night. Yeah, happy. and you can put your head down. And when you do, but look, at it, it has been times as well. It's not been all plain sailing. Are you joking me? It's not like that. But overall, when you're reflecting, would you say your life has been happy overall? Yeah. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's great to, be able to say that. Yes. Yes, indeed. I know when I reached 40, I was kind of going, oh God, I'm getting old. And every year it was, oh God, but I don't know, this year I kind of say, Jesus, you know what, age I, is a privilege. Am, am I in for I'm hell not. here when I mention 47 to Brendan Kelly and I look straight into the other yeah, studio? Yeah, and I was going, you know, I'll get back to you when I get there. <laughs> Putting years it's on all me. Right, Louise, that's all right, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Women I'm, are always touchy about their age, aren't they? <laughs> oh, sure, look at it, it's only a bloody number and we all pass along this journey, as they say. You heard late lunch on LMFM Radio. Will we, will, will we, we have a listen, will we? Will yes. we have a listen? Will we go back? Back in time and have a listen. Come on, let's have a listen to this. Happiness, happiness. Ken Dodd and happiness. We're going back in time. Don't count money, count happiness. The line of the song says, and it is so true. Now, you need the few bob, Louise. I said that. A few bob is handy to, no to get No draft doesn't make you happy. No, no, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, what a lovely, lovely song and hits the nail on the head for sure. What makes you happy? Tell me this afternoon uh, and I'll uh, stick your name in the hat for Brendan Kelly's book, The Science of Happiness. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show with what makes you happy. We'll continue to try and make you happy and many other emotions beside on late lunch today and over the coming days and weeks. Oh, lots of messages from you about what makes you happy today. Afternoon, Jerry. Hope you had a good weekend. The thing that makes me happy are my bagpipes. Although living, although living in a top flat, I'm not so sure it makes my neighbours too happy, says Connell McBride from Fort William in the Scottish Highlands. Lovely to hear from you, Connell, again this afternoon. Jerry, I love baking. It brings me back to my childhood and with my mammy in our kitchen when she taught us how to bake. Isn't that just lovely? There's more of them there. I'll be back to them in a wee while. Now, moving on on the show today... Prince Philip, you heard the news here. It broke as we were on air uh, on Friday last. 
has passed away. He was just short of his 100th year. And there's been an outpouring of grief and sadness in the UK and across the world. I'm joined on the show by a Dundalk woman. She's CEO of the Ireland Fund of Great Britain, council member of the Racehorse Owners Association, British Horse Racing Steward, and of course she was awarded Freedom of the City of London for services to the Irish community. And I'm delighted to say hello to her again. Sheila Bailey, good afternoon. Jerry, hello, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me on the show and thanks for getting in touch because you knew Prince Philip. Well, I knew him as much as anybody outside the family knew him in that I worked alongside him for two years on the 50th anniversary of the Duke of Edinburgh's award. Fantastic. And it was, it was an extraordinary experience and not something, you know, I ever thought was going to happen to me when I was growing up on the Carrick Road. Um, but he was an extraordinary man. And I think anyone who had any dealings with him of any sort, funny, irreverent, what have you, uh, went away with a very strong view of him. You know, the view we have is that he stood beside the Queen uh, solidly for all those years and he was very loyal and faithful. And in a way, people would have thought, look, the man had to take, you know, a back seat. What do you say to that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything was about service. You know, she was the boss and he was two steps behind her. Must be incredibly difficult for anybody, but for somebody who was quite as... And he came from such an extraordinary background. You know, his his childhood was, was quite unusual in that um, he more or less was passed around amongst relatives because his family was, was, you know, scattered all over the place. Um, and I think he was a very resilient individual, but... It, because of that, it must have been even more difficult to be the number two, to be always, you know, walking behind. Yes, and he, he did it, and uh, never w- was the reward out of the man. Have you seen The Crown, the, the, the uh, you know, the uh, series on Netflix? No, I haven't. I, I'm, I'm not that advanced. Yeah, you know... Terrestrial telly. Yeah, well, I, I've watched it, you know what I mean? And I really enjoyed it, to be honest with you. But I understand it is entertainment. It is, you know, made for television and for an audience. In that, in his early years, he was sort of portrayed as a, a bit of a bio and, you know, he travelled the world, left the Queen on her own for, for a time. I don't know whether you read this or knew of it. You know, that impression was created by that television series. Well, I think that's probably it. It was an impression that was created. And, you know, when you read... So much of what's been written over the weekend, there, there is a big part of me that reads it and thinks, but actually, none of us really know. Who ever knows what goes on inside mm. other people's families? Mm. Unless, of course, Prince Harry's one of yours, and then we all know what goes on. Yes. And, and you know, as Duke of Edinburgh, and it's that award that you worked closely with him for two years of, the good, and it's not just this, I see Prince Charles and the, the great work they do quietly behind the scenes of making the lives and a uh, lot of younger people right across the board even better, the Prince's Trust we know as well. What about this award uh, of Philip's? The Duke of Edinburgh's award is probably the single most defining thing in his career. The number of people who've been through it, the number of people who said it changed their lives. I mean, how I got involved was, um, it was a very simple conversation over dinner one night with David Hempelman Adams, who is um, an adventurer and uh, a Swindon boy. And he'd gone through the award and it took him from a very 
unadventurous, quiet townie to one of the world's greatest adventurers. But he puts everything down to what he learned during the award. I've met so many people in business, in sport, in every walk of life who said it made such a difference to them. And working for those two years on that 50th anniversary, I got to meet lots of them. And anyone who's come into any contact with the Duke of Edinburgh in that time has nothing but good to say about him and about what he did. So it supported people in many ways, opening doors, education, financially. It, it just changed their lives, as you said. What about that time you were with him? I, I, have, you, have you any stories to tell, Sheila, today? Well, for me, the defining story, and it's, it, it's, it's one that, I, it's, funnily, it came to mind. It's the first thing that came to mind when I heard the news that he'd, he'd died. Um, in the very early stages of the anniversary year, we held a series of big, big um, cultivation events at Buckingham Palace and St. James's Palace. And I had one night there when we had the best part of 200 to 250 people there. And I was the one doing the, the walk around. So you have the aquary behind you and I'm there with the Duke presenting the various guests who I have all lined up so I actually know who I'm, I'm dealing with because, you know, a room full of 250 people is a challenge. And we were about an hour and a half into a two-hour reception. So I can see the door, and I know I'm nearly done. And we walked up to this couple who had been introduced by a trustee, who had been brought in by a trustee. And he was Irish, um, and he had his very, very pretty uh, soon-to-be wife with him. And the Duke, in his usual unceremonious way, said, "So, um, so what do you do? And he said, I'm in scrap. And the Duke said, a very interesting conversation about the price of scrap and the price of metal, and this went on. And I, I'm sort of looking at the next person and thinking what I'm going to say there. And just as they got to the end of their conversation, the Duke said to him, and, you know, if you're ever invited to Buckingham Palace again, make sure you shave before you come. And quick as a flash, he turns back to the Duke. He says, oh, I can't do that. No, he says, little lady wouldn't like it. And quick as a flash... She leans, and she's very pretty, she leans right into the Duke, leans right over and says into his ear, oh no, she said, I love a little bit rough. <laughs> and I'm stood there thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And the Duke's face is absolutely just like a poker. <laughs> and he suddenly threw his head back and he roared with laughter. <laughs> And I suppose, for me, it was like 30 seconds of, oh, my God, what am I going to do? (laughs) When I thought about it afterwards, in a life where you're surrounded by people being nice to you and saying what they think you want to hear, I'm sure those two were a brilliant, brilliant opportunity to just say it as it was. Mm. It was was marvellous. And then the rest of it all went off fine. Um, and I think probably the, the, the only other occasion where I had a real heart-stopping moment, and I was very, very glad that I'm Irish. Um, we had a dinner for 12 people. And there's a, very, there's a strict protocol to how this happens, how people are seated, how the conversation works. However, our guests were completely stunned by their surroundings and who they were with. And I'm very glad that I was able to sit there and talk nonstop for two hours because it would have been a very, very dull evening otherwise. They loosened up a little bit towards the end. He's very good at shaking people up. He's very good at throwing in 
provocative comments, you know. Yes. If you say, he'll argue with you for the sake of the conversation. Um, and I guess that's what he's had to do. Can you imagine if you have to go out and eat lunch and dinner five days a week as part of your job? It yes. all gets a bit... Um, but he was an extraordinary man. Yeah, yeah. That's all, Sheila. That's uh, fantastic here. And it, it 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 gives you a view of the man, you know, that, you know, look, he, he, as you say, he had had his duties, he was loyal and everything, but he was like the rest of us. He, there was a bit of crack in him, you know what I mean? He could have the laugh. Oh, absolutely. He, you know, he picked up on it. Um, you know... <laughs> His time, he came to Ireland with the Queen on that historic visit uh, that she made, the state visit here. Uh, And I I, I was looking back over the weekend at uh, some footage, quite a bit from his time here when he was with her. He really enjoyed it. He would have loved it. He he loved history. He was Mm. incredibly well read. Um, To be fair, I think most of the extended family on his side all loved Ireland, all had um, spent time in Ireland. Um, so I think he would have seen the bigger picture and I'm sure he loved every minute of it. It was an extraordinary visit. Yes. You know, when, yes. I, when I think back on it and you think back on the reactions, mm. um, certainly going back to growing up there in the, in the 60s and 70s, you wouldn't have, have thought it was going to happen. True. And you certainly wouldn't have thought it was going to be the success it was. Of course. And of course, he had the pain of Mullock Moore to carry with yeah. him when he came as well, you know, and... Uh, it, it it was uh, it was tough. It was really tough, and that that is understandable. Now coming back to uh, you know uh, the mourning and uh, all the outpouring of you know grief, and uh, of course the the love for him that has emerged in the last number of days for the Queen herself. She is now for the first time. Look how long they were married. How long they know each other. Yeah. How long she is on the throne as well. She's alone now. It must be incredibly different, you know, when you've spent the, your whole, most of her life has been spent alongside Prince Philip. So suddenly to find that you wake up one morning and life will never be the same again. I imagine, contrary to a lot of what's been said, I imagine that she would take comfort from going about her duties the way she's always done it. That things will happen at the same time and the same, uh, she will go to Sandringham when she does, she will go to Balmoral in the summer. She would do the garden, possibly not garden parties this year, but I think it would be the comfort of duty because that's really what our life has been all about. Mm. Do you reckon, just as an aside, and perhaps it's not the, the day to contemplate this, will she just continue on? You know, there was always talk that she may, you know, uh, Charles is next in line, will he have his turn? Will that just happen naturally? You'd kind of think, having gone to this, this length, that she yes. would carry out. I mean, she made that vow that however long or short my life is, I will carry out my duties. So I would be surprised if she changed her mind. Mm. Yes, interesting indeed. Uh, you know, and she is uh, still so active, so aware of everything, involved in so many things. Slowed up a bit, uh, of course, but uh, uh, yes, look, uh, time and uh, things will take their course there, as we said, but it is a defining moment for her, as I say as well, to find herself without her confidant by her side. It's not been an easy time, you know, when you think about all that has happened from, you know, Diana, the Queen's sister, you see what happened with uh, Harry and Meghan in recent times, and Philip has been there through all that. Do you believe he was, you know, a rock of strength for her to see her through those times? 
absolutely, absolutely. Because apparently, right the way through their lives, you know, he's always tried to be one who's steered everybody in the right direction, and he's he's tried to lead by example. So you have to have somebody that you can say. We all do. Everybody has to have someone you can say exactly what you think to. And I guess he was probably one of the few people who could say exactly what he thought of Queen. So she had that external view as much as anyone could have an external Mm. view. Before we go, I can't leave uh, the GGs from the conversation today, even though it's been serious. But I'll just say two words. Rachel Blackmore. Rachel Blackmore. What more words do you need? Wasn't it astonishing? And you know something? I'm quite sure Her Majesty was watching too. And I'm quite sure she took pleasure in it. It was an astonishing day. It was, it was fabulous. It was fabulous to see the first five horses home were all Irish. Yeah. Paddy Power was paying 50 to 1 on that. My. Um, amazing, amazing weekend. Yeah, it was. And uh, well done to her. We will be uh, coming back to Rachel later on in the show. Sheila, you're very good. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I wish you well. And thank you for sharing your memories of Prince Philip with us on Late Lunch. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Bye-bye. Bye Mind now. yourself. Bye-bye. Sheila Bailey there from the Carrick Road in Dundalk, who spent two years working with the uh, uh, the Duke on the the uh, awards, as you heard there. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. Oh, we're finding out what makes you happy. And I'm going to let the rest of them know in a moment. Jerry, happiness to me is going to sleep and waking up beside my wonderful husband of 48 years. We both have great health, thank God. Also, to see my grandchildren coming to us after school. We have seven grandchildren, all healthy and doing well in school and college. Ah, oh, Louise, isn't that a lovely one? That's a lovely message. It really, really is. cheers, wow. My, and and so happy with it. Uh, Jerry. <laughs> do, they, do they like to see their kids coming too? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves the grandkids. <laughs> yeah, oh, listen, I know, I know. And, and it is the way I see it myself. Absolutely, the grandchildren get priority. They get priority <laughs> always. Jerry, when the wife goes walking and I can have the telly all to myself to watch the golf, says Peter in our cat. Come on, Peter, get your own telly. Get your own telly and then you can watch what you want. How many miles does the wife walk? (laughs) Take your time, love. Take your time. Take your time. Talking about the golf. Yeah, well, you probably weren't watching Louise, but history was made in the Masters, the first major of the year uh, last evening. Oh, my word. What a finish. Hideki Matsuyama. The Japanese golfer won Louise for the to make history. He's the first Japanese golfer to win a major, to win wow. one of the big ones ever. And uh, you know, in Japan, they're mad about golf. Oh, they're mad about golf. They really are. They had a fellow who played years ago. Jumbo Osaki was his name, and right. uh, he was a great golfer. And he he did well. You know, he came to Europe and to America as well, but never won a big one. But Hideki did last night. He was leading at one stage, Louise, by six shots. And guess what he won by in the end? One shot. Oh, who oh. second? Oh, Xander Schofley was there or thereabouts. I think Jordan Speed may have finished second or John Ram, one of the, they were around. So it was a great finish. It was, yeah. Oh, it was exciting. Nail biting. It was nail biting at the end, so it was. Schofley made a mess of it, so he did. He could have really pushed him. But the chap, he was speaking afterwards and they were saying, were you nervous? He said, I was nervous when I stood up on the tee for the first shot of the round, he said. I had nerves through my body. But a uh, history made uh, in the Masters last night with Hideki uh, winning. Well done to him. Just ties in with that golf story. There's another nice one there. Uh, Arsenal scoring a last-minute goal. 
Charlie George. <laughs> Charlie George scored the winner in the cup final against Liverpool. I think it was 1970. was the last minute goal at Wembley. Arsenal won the cup. And of course, Arsenal scored a last minute winner against Liverpool at Anfield uh, a few years later to win the league title. Liverpool only needed a draw. The last game of the season, Arsenal scored the winner. The final kick of the game and, and won the title there. They've denied Liverpool on a couple of occasions. Thanks indeed for that one. Um, somebody says there, I would love, I'd be so happy if I could see my Aunt Teresa again. Huh? Memories of somebody who's passed there. Jerry says, Mary, what makes me happiest is walking in nature, especially in the woods, listening to the birds and maybe finding a wee pond full of tadpoles or frogs. See the nature. Mm. Nature. People absolutely love nature. What makes me happy is the good weather. It brings out the best in everybody, the sunshine, and everybody feels a lot happier, says Michael. They do. The sun does that, doesn't it? Even the wind, even though last weekend, like the sun, it was, but it was lovely, crisp weather, and everybody you could see smiling, nearly walking on the roads or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely, that we like John, don't we? In LMFM, Louise, we love John. Love John. Yeah, what makes John happy is LMFM all day. Great chat and music. What more could you ask? Oh, John, oh John, we really love you, Jerry. I have to say, I love country music. Says it. Well, you know, if you love country music, Louise, you love country music. We played Nathan Carter twice last week. We did. And don't forget LMFM Country. It's online. You can tune in all day, every day. Yes, Darren Mahan, Paul McKenna there. It's online, lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. I keep saying to you folks, get that app, download it. You can bring it with you anywhere you go. Food. We talk a good bit about food on this show, don't we? But uh, when I say these words, you'll understand where my next guest is coming from. To quote Dr. Vanessa Wood, she says, we need to see food not as a commodity, but as a way of getting vital nutrients into the body. And she joins me on the line. Vanessa, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. I've had this wee little book of yours on my desk for quite some time, I have to say, and I'm only getting round to it today. And it's really, really interesting. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, you're really getting at something here. Do you know the way we do our weekly shop and we buy all the usual suspects and stack them at home and go through them during the week? Um, We get into a routine. You want us to look at this again? I do indeed, Jerry. So, um, so Jerry, I'm a science communications consultant. Just to set the scene, I set up mm. Ireland's first science communications consultancy, and I work in the agri-food industry. So, I'm a scientist by profession. I've worked in public engagement, and I've worked in the commercial world. So, I saw a real need to communicate and engage consumers in science. That the wonderful research and development that goes on every single day by scientists, because. We need to look at food differently and emerging research and especially since the uh, pandemic is showing even more the importance of looking at nutrients in food. So uh, as you say, uh, Jerry, we tend to form a shopping list and we have our staples and we go and we buy offer lists uh, in the supermarket. But what I'm trying to get across is a point where we look at shopping for nutrients. So we're shopping for calcium or we're shopping for iron or we're shopping for vitamins. And it's really to create an understanding in a very simple way uh, in order for consumers to know which foods um, they can source these nutrients from because it's very hard to remember all of the nutrients that are in different foods. Mm. And the way I've done that is through poetry. So I've written a book of poems because we're bombarded with so much information. It's very hard to remember everything. But when it rhymes, it's much easier to remember. 
Yeah, and it's a, I have to say, it's a beautiful wee book. And, and the illustrations, uh, uh, Bevy and McCarthy uh, did the illustrations for you as well. They really add, I have to say, to the book. So true poetry and uh, the verses that you have, and you go from A to Z, you use all the letters in the alphabet. This is aimed at, you know, upping awareness of the nutritional aspect of food. That's correct, Jerry. So it's my book is called Irish Food from A to Z. And Irish Food from A to Z is a book of poems that tells the story of Irish farming, food, culture and health. And it, it seeks to be a celebration of nutritious Irish food and the love of farming in beautiful Ireland. Mm. So my book is targeted um, for this particular project. It has been sent to every primary school in Ireland with the support of 20 companies with lead partner SPD Insurance. So what really I was trying to do here is to encourage science-based discussion on food nutrients, healthy eating and the green climate agenda. So while the book is written in poetry with beautiful illustrations by Bavin, as you rightly say, actually it's all underpinned by science, bringing back in my scientific expertise uh, and working in science for a number of years. So the book is linked with the social, environmental and scientific education curriculum in schools and the literacy and numeracy strategy via reading time in schools. So with, within that context, the book is now being used in every primary school in Ireland to engage um, the next generation of purchasing consumers in the importance of food nutrients, sustainability, what that means, the different types of sustainability, what's biodiversity. So really looking at, I suppose, what's very much on top of government's agenda, President, is looking at sustainable and equitable food systems. But equally, if we look uh, into the human health side of things, we need to start linking farming and the nutrients in food and that's coming right from the, gr- the ground. So what I've done is I've taken what's called a One Health approach to communication. And a One Health approach to communication is described by the World Health Organization as where multiple sectors collaborate for better human health outcomes. So, for example, in this collaboration, I've uh, collaborated with a dentist and agri-food uh, producers, genetics companies to get across all of the messages because we think about it, the first point where we digest our food is in our mouth and we need healthy teeth to digest our food, but we also need healthy nutrients to have healthy t- teeth. Yeah. And then that's used for overall health. So it, everything is absolutely linked. And Dr. Mike Ryan uh, recently, a couple of days ago, who's the executive director of the World Health Organization, is now talking about health equity. And that's where we look at access or availability to health. And that's not just health, health care. He describes it as it's life-preserving and health-preserving. And included within that is health via adequate nutrition. And a couple of years ago, I met the previous health commissioner, the EU health commissioner in Brussels, Commissioner Andrew Kytus. And Commissioner Andrew Kytus um, said that in the EU, spending we are spending, or at that time we were spending, only 3% of EU health budgets on prevention of disease and uh, 80% on treatment yeah. and that simply is not enough because it needs to turn around mm. so there's a lot there's a lot of science uh, Jerry which yes. is very pertinent uh, to consumers but it's breaking that science down into um, I suppose information that's relevant and easily digested. Yeah. Now here's the thing. I love the book, and this book is in the primary schools, linked with the curriculum, and uh, children from four to twelve. It's aimed at, and it's getting the message across alphabetically in rhyme from A to Z, as you said there. 
They are the future. But what about the present? How do you get the message across to the mums and dads and carers and guardians of children today who are actually the purchasers of the food, the people who prepare or don't prepare the food that you need, you know, to get them to change? Absolutely. Um, And that's a very good question, Jerry. So, I suppose the the schools programme is the first element of uh, engaging that section of society in in those messaging around food nutrients for taking a proactive approach to healthcare. Um, My book is also relevant to uh, the adults uh, Mm. within society. And with that in mind, um, I have collaborated with Good Food Ireland. Um, So Good Food Ireland is selling the message and selling wonderful uh, Irish food. And really, there's an opportunity there. So you're, and in lockdown, there was lots more cooking going on in the home with parents and their children. So whilst educating the children, very, in a very nice and informal way, my book was relevant to every parent, grandparent and child that was cooking. Um, I also have a greater vision for my book. Um, I'm looking to put my book into hotels, restaurants, tour, uh, tourism venues. Once we get back, to as normal as we can be again, or maybe there's going to be a new normal. So if you think about it, we stay in a hotel. What's in the hotel? You get a lovely newspaper, you get a lovely magazine. Uh, there's nothing like my book. That people go for food experiences. There's, a, you know, the whole food tourism element. So agritourism, I would like my book to be in all uh, venues so that when people come to Ireland, they have a memento uh, of, you know, well, what did we see and what did we experience? So it's about nutrition, but it's also about culture. It's about farming. It's about the beautiful landscape, how farmers are custodians of the landscape. So everything is interconnected. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I suppose for, for um, my book is available in some uh, artisan food shops. It's for sale on my website, vbwoodscommunications.com. So there's a bigger plan in hand, Jerry. Um, okay, to spread this message. Yes, I hear what you're saying. And, and I, look, I, 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 I put that question to you because they are the decision makers. They are the ones in, in the homes. But you're right. There has been a real return to home cooking and uh, children getting involved in that. And I see the way you're working. You know, they uh, learn from you and they bring those ideas home to mum or dad or whoever is in the house. Do you know what struck me as well? And you know this, uh, obviously. Three million, when you talk that, you know, uh, we'll go back to 2017, not that long ago, 11 million deaths in 195 countries can be linked to diet. And just to give a little breakdown, three million because of excessive intake of sodium, which is salt, three million low intake of whole grains into the diet and two million due to the low intake of fruit. They are shocking statistics. They are, and that's that's a study that's published in The Lancet, and it's looking at the number of deaths at a global level attributable to diet. So, like, I mean, we look at, as you rightly said, uh, diets high in salt are causing the greatest number of deaths. The lowest number uh, on this is a diet high in red meat. The next lowest is a diet low in milk. next one is diet high in processed meat. So, really, uh, it's very much looking, again, it's, I suppose you can talk about mining nutrients in food. So again, not seeing food as a commodity, something that is traded. And again, I'm going back to Dr. Mike Ryan, and I keep, I keep linking food with health. You know, Dr. Ryan is saying that healthcare is not a commodity. It's not something that that's traded. So and there and the two, food and healthcare, are absolutely linked. 
So, you know, in farming, in all aspects of the agri-food industry, we're in the business of connecting and engaging with consumers. So really what I'm trying to achieve here is to um, spread the message and to encourage science-based discussion so that consumers are more informed and they know for example, you know, if you're feeling tired, maybe maybe that could be you're low in iron. And where do you source iron from? So instead of feeling tired, then, you know, make sure that you're not, if you can, feel tired so that you source the nutrients to, for proactive human health care if you're mm. You, your former CEO, I know of AgriAware, and as you mentioned, you are a science communications consultant at the moment. Coming to the agri sector in Ireland, look, we have wonderful land here, and we have fantastic farmers and progressive people as well. The other big, you know, question is the whole area, and it, it, it comes into the food chain of the use of you know, chemicals and pesticides as well. That has to be talked about in the context of this discussion. It does, Jerry. Like, I mean, everything is, is connected with this discussion, whether it's climate change, uh, it's the use of pesticides and chemicals. And there's a lot of research going on in order to, you know, I suppose, reduce or minimise the use of pesticides and chemicals, because really, it's all about efficiency. Everything is about sustainability and safety. So, you know, sustainability is used very widely. It's a word that's used every single day, whether it's in the agri-food industry or it's in the high-end clothing industry. So sustainability simply means meeting the needs of today without compromising those of tomorrow. And as an agri-food industry, we talk about three types of sustainability. We talk about economic, social and environmental sustainability. So it has to be economically viable. It has to be socially acceptable. And it has to farm in harmony with nature. But actually, I believe there's a fourth leg on that stool called nutritional sustainability. And that very much goes back to the nutrient element. So, like, I mean, there's a lot of research going on by Chagask in terms of delivering, um, for example, climate-friendly farming systems. There's a lot of work done, but lots more to do in order to meet uh, our, our targets. So, you know, there are different things there where I suppose uh, farmers are measuring and managing in conjunction with scientists in order to uh, make sure they have the most efficient uh, and sustainable production systems. And by becoming more efficient and more sustainable, you know, that, that's farming uh, in environmentally friendly ways. That's what farmers want. That's mm. what industry wants. That's what consumers want. But also when more efficient means also more finan- more economically efficient. So whether that's looking at different types of fertilizers, for example, protected urea, putting more clover into the sward, looking at the genetics of animals. For example, the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation is doing huge work and they have a huge data set looking at um, the genetics of the different animals in Ireland and, you know, improving that, looking at, for example, different multi-species swards, including more grass in the diet, um, you know, the use of renewable energy, measuring and managing water quality through the um, the Asset Water Quality Programme, where they look at 119 water, 90 water outlets in Ireland, looking at trees and hedges. So yes. trees and hedges, they sequester carbon. And as you rightly said, uh, Jerry, Ireland is covered in grass. So mm. 53% of Ireland is in grass. It's actually 80% if we include the grass that's used to produce hay and silage to feed the animals. The EU, in, across the EU, 
um, on average, uh, it's twenty percent. So, like, I mean, you know, it's it's more than double. That oh yeah, we have Ireland. we have huge advantages here. Look, I have to leave it for there for today. I just want to read uh, the letter N. N is for nutrition. The nourishment in foods we eat. We need essential nutrients every day, which is no mean feat. Proteins, fats, water, and carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals as well. A balanced diet is important, as the food pyramid will tell. Each time that we eat our food. We should think back to the farm, acknowledging the great work of our farmers, growing nutritious food with care and charm. I love the, uh, you're a poet and you don't know it as well, to be honest with you, Vanessa. Anyway, where's the book available again on your website, is it, yeah? Yes, on my website, Jerry. So it's VB Woods with an S, communications with an S dot com. www.vbwoodscommunications.com. Lovely to talk to you today. You're onto something big here, thought provoking indeed, and making a difference. Irish food from A to Z by Vanessa B. Woods. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank Take you. care of yourself. Bye bye. Vanessa Woods there. Really interesting stuff. Late lunch. LMFM Radio being part of her grandchildren's lives Margaret is so happy the grandchildren Louise you see the grandchildren are so important Pauline in Ballsgrove and Drogheda is on to say that she's delighted you know what's made her happy uh, what has made her happy recently Louise her husband was in hospital for a month oh wow and she couldn't go to see him and he's home now and he's getting better every day isn't that happiness and having the rest of her family around her for the company and good health thanks indeed for getting in touch with us Drogheda Chamber are holding a webinar this Wednesday at 9.15. It's called Be Bold in Business with Canva. Canva is a graphic design platform which stores thousands of designs and images. In an interactive presentation, Tamara Howard will demonstrate how Canva can be used easily and effectively in your business. To register, contact Brenda at or visit drawhattachamber.ie for more details. Were you watching the Grand National, Louise? I was, actually. Yeah, it was great. Well, did you know that a lady called Enid Bagnold wrote a book in 1935 called... Grand National? National Velvet. Oh, yes. Was there a film on that, yeah? The movie was made in 1944, starring Mickey Rooney and beautifully young Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, she was gorgeous. And she played the part of 14-year-old Velvet Brown, who trains and rides her horse called the Piebald to victory in name. the Grand National. What about that? The piebald. Yeah, piebald pony. You've heard about that before. <laughs> but the horse was called the piebald. So there you are from 1935 with the book and 1944 with the movie National Velvet. It all came true with Rachel Blackmore on Saturday. Oh, and what she said after it was Ah, oh, she was just she lovely. And I'm you not know, male, female no, or human. I'm a human being and I'm over the moon. And remember, the first Grand National was run in 1839. And she's the first winner, the first woman to win on board Manila Times. Brilliant. And our Ava, you won't believe this, she put €2.50 each way on Rachel. She loves Rachel Blackmore. Oh, loves her. One to watch, so. She won. She, won. She, was, she was rang me and said, gang, gang, I won on Rachel. I love Rachel. Oh, God, it was just Did fantastic. Uh, no, don't mention okay. my back, please. <laughs> we'll just leave that. Fell at the fort. Fell at the fort. Anyway, we're heading towards news, weather and sport at three in the company of Marvin Gaye. Pity I didn't hear it about Rachel through the grapevine earlier. I'd have backed her for sure.
Yes, I got your message. Uh, could you ask Vanessa what she thinks about the increase in farmers using a form of human waste on land? Uh, can we be sure then our food is safe if it's grown in these fields, says Catherine to us this afternoon. That's interesting indeed. It's something I haven't heard of before. I always thought that, you know, what went in the fields came from the animal buyers or whatever and uh, stuff like that. Um I wouldn't be too happy with it, to be honest with you. Thanks for your message to us on on the show today. Just reminding you that LMFM Radio Bingo is back. The first game takes place on the 26th of April. Jackpot €400 per day. uh, Sorry, daily prize of €400. Jackpot of €5,000 with proceeds of the game going to the National Council for the Blind. Books are available to buy online or in local shops right now. So get your book and get ready to play the new LMFM Bingo. Jared, you know what makes me happy? Listening to you today, being happy, spreading the joy, reminding us all to be grateful. Thank you. I'm happy at home with my dogs. Funny when you mentioned the butterfly, my Oreo ran and brought me his butterfly toy. I knew in the second I was truly happy, says a listener. Thank you indeed for that lovely comment to us today. Uh, Frances says that good health uh, for herself and her family is the key to happiness and Margaret's been on to say all the time she spends out in the open thank you indeed for all your messages about your happiness to the show today the book Professor Brendan Kelly's book The Science of Happiness I'm sending it out to Shirley Hawhey in Kilcurry this afternoon she was the lady who sent me the lovely message about the memories that uh, she has of baking with her mammy in the kitchen all those years ago the book is yours Shirley enjoy now my artist's plural today of the week this week are the Electric Light Orchestra ELO for short they were formed in Birmingham by Jeff Lynn Roy Wood and Bev Bevan in 1970 however Wood didn't hang around too long going his own way in 72 with Richard Tandy becoming an established member of the lineup during the 70s and 80s ELO were prolific and hugely successful between 72 and 86 they had 27 top 40 singles in the UK and 15 top 20 hits on the US Billboard top 100 charts some achievement combined with a string of successful albums sales worldwide during that time exceeded 50 million how would you describe their musical style pop rock classical futuristic I think a combination of all four perhaps their debut album was released in late 71 simply called called the ELO with Wood gone ELO 2 followed in early 73 and Roll Over Beethoven was a hit single from that album on the third day was next followed by El Dorado which saw Can't Get You Out Of My Head becoming their first US top 10 hit single but today I begin the ELO reprise with a song from their fifth album Face The Music which was the band's first worldwide hit oh yeah I'm singing along here I love it ELO and Evil Woman my featured artist of the week on Late Lunch All This Week Oh, they're fantastic. And they have some range of hits. It'll be hard picking five songs this week, to be honest with you. Anyway, more from ELO tomorrow. Just reminding you, do you know someone who's a carer and maybe gone that little bit extra 
in their work. Well, if you do, make sure you tune in to Sinead on the 11 to 1 show because in association with Comfort Keepers, we want to hear about the carers across the northeast who are doing terrific work and each day whoever is selected there's a nice little prize there a 50 euro one for all voucher so make sure you get in touch with Sinead on the 11 to 1 show tomorrow now final break of the afternoon today on late lunch and when we come back I'm joined by Jim Draper and he's going to talk about a man who passed away over the weekend he won the national here in Ireland he was a great footballer as well the late great Jerry Dowd he was a fine footballer, represented his county at many levels and was on board Brown Lad when he won the Irish National in 78. He sadly passed away at the uh, weekend. I'm talking about Ger Dowd and joining me on the line is a man who knew him really well, Jim Draper. Hello, Jim. Jerry, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. This uh, passing of Ger, really, really sad news. Ah, very sad, very sad. Uh, I did understand that he had a little trouble some years ago, uh, but still, a young, nowadays, a relatively young man, 65, it was, it was a shock now and very sad, yes. He worked with you and closely with yourselves there in the yard. Brown Lad, of course, winning three uh, nationals. He was on board on 78. He was a multi-talented man. He was, yeah. Uh, Jerry would have been a teenager, I suppose, when he came here in the mid-70s. <clears throat> and we he got going. We liked if we could at all in those times to give the young lads, the lads who were there every day, every wet Monday morning, give them a chance to be jockeys. And uh, Jerry took to it, got going uh, after a couple of years learning about racehorses. And uh, oh yeah, he, he was good, and as, um, as as well as being a good jockey, he, he was a very good footballer mm. and uh, played for the county county meet at various stages. Yes, he did indeed, and for his club Dunshockland as well, and he enjoyed great success on the field of play. What what do you recall of Brown Lad and that victory in '78 in the Irish National? Well, Brown Lad had been. Uh, we were lucky. We got him as a made horse. We were just lucky enough to have a client able to afford him in those days. We got him as a made horse. He won two um, Grand Nationals, Irish Grand Nationals in succession, ridden by the late, great Tommy Carberry. And then the horse had a year off in 77 because of a tendon problem in a leg, which is relatively common in horses. But <clears throat> he came back the next year. And when it came round to Easter time, Tommy uh, was claimed to ride a horse called Mighty's Honour. Basically, uh, those top jockeys, many of them would have what is known as a retainer where a trainer could say, look, I need you on that day. And uh, so in, in that case, it was uh, Mrs. Moore, Tommy's mother-in-law, actually, trained the horse, uh, Mighty's Honour, and Tommy chose to ride him. So that meant we were looking for a jockey, and Jerry would have been here on a daily basis and would have known the horse well, uh, as well as watching him in his career uh, with Tommy riding him and the way he behaved in races. Uh, Jerry would have been here on a daily basis and he would have known the horse inside out. Isn't that uh, marvellous to hear that story, you know, where fate uh, played its part in him being on board the horse that day to go and the knowledge and that close knowledge that he had of working. That's a crucial part. You know you know your game far better than uh, than myself. But that relationship, knowing the horse is key, I take it, Jim. Well, it, it, it all helps. The more you know about them, uh, some of them behave differently. He was actually quite a slow horse here at home, by which I mean he didn't work well. He'd never win any gallop or trial as, as the racing people listening to the show. Jerry will know what I'm talking about. He did his work. But we knew that when push came to shove on race day, he could do it. Much better than the other way around, horses flying at home and then go missing on race day. 
but he could do it. And and as I say, Jerry Ewan. As well as that, Jerry had only a couple of winners. Sorry, I think he had 11 winners ridden that time. And uh, it was taking a bit of a chance putting uh, putting a so-called beginner up in an Irish Grand National. But uh, we didn't tell the owner. The owner was an American lady. She wasn't there. And it was very easy to train for. She wouldn't have objected. She'd have let us at it. But fortunately, it went right. And um, there again, to those of you who know about racing, the horse had a huge weight. He had 12, seven, 12 stone 7. And uh, because Jerry had only ridden 11 winners, he was allowed to claim five pounds off him, which got it back to 12 stone 2. Mm. And uh, made, possibly made the difference because it was a hell of a struggle. A horse called Sandpit, ridden by Paddy Kiley, uh, was side by side with him all the way up the straight. And I think it was only about half a length, maybe three quarters of the length of the finish. So arguably, those five pounds that Jerry was able to get off the horse's back uh, made a difference. Ah, oh, there you go. And I'm sure he was over the moon. And sure, le- uh, legendary uh, status assured uh, to win an Irish Grand National and on his doorstep uh, as well. You mentioned his football prowess. He was a, a, a good man on the field of play. He was, I believe, yes, absolutely. Uh, they played for Dunchalkin. He lived over near Dunchalkin, played for them. And uh, I did, I remember driving down to see him one day playing a league match against uh, Westmeath in, where was that? Trim. Mm. Trim. Didn't see much of it, mind you. It was a lash and rain, but uh, he, I think he, he scored a few points. He, I was quick. He, he was very fast. Not yeah. the biggest chap, obviously. He was jockey shape. Not the biggest man on the field, but um, he was quick enough to get out of trouble. Yeah, and he represented his county with distinction at all age grades as well. And, of course, the club, as, as you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier there, he was a great club man too. Well, look, we just want to say today we are really sorry to hear of Jerry Dowd's passing and offer our sympathies to his wife, Bernadette, his sons, Ian, David and Paul, and his daughters, Geraldine and Susan, and all of the extended family. He's gone but will never be forgotten and was loved uh, by many uh, that knew him and all the thousands that actually knew him. Just before you go, Jim, just a quick word on Rachel Blackmore. History made uh, at Aintree at the weekend. Absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable, as she keeps saying herself. Very, I, don't, I know the girl to say hello to her. I can't say I know her. But she, uh, everyone that does know her says she's just the same. Even after all these winners, she's the same Rachel. She's delighted to be having the luck she has and keeps working on to the next day. But from a PR point of view for racing... You couldn't buy the column inches that she has brought into racing. You know, that ad- ad- advertising the fact that a girl can do it and there are lots of good things in racing. And uh, I know it, it's marvellous. Yeah, that's great news. It really is. After a success at Cheltenham to go to Aintree and win the National, she'll never, ever forget this year. Jim, look, thank you indeed for uh, joining us today to say those lovely words uh, about your friend Jerry Dowd. Not at all, no problem. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. 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 That's bye. Jim Draper there from the legendary Draper family. Uh, Drapers and horses, just synonymous in the county of Meath. That's our lot on Late Lunch. First show of the week this Monday. Tomorrow on Late Lunch, yes, we'll be uh, doing a usual catch-up with Paul Moyna as uh, the country begins to open up. Tony Connellan's doing his uh, motoring as usual with us tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the NCT. Yes, that's come up uh, Again, in uh, dispatches, we're going to be uh, covering that along with lots of others, uh, lots of other matters in the motoring world with Tony and Colleen McNally is on late lunch tomorrow. She, her son Dara, passed away. 
And it's a really sad story. Uh, Dara had autism and uh, you'll hear more about uh, his story and Colleen's with me on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. See you tomorrow, half past one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Let us amaze you with our fantastic used car offers. With over 300 different makes and models, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars to choose from. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. Finance can be arranged to suit all budgets. Call or visit blackstonemotors.ie today to find your next car. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.